Let the stories and teachings of today's top Christian leaders inspire and move you to releasing God's best for your life. With your host, best-selling author and certified Christian life coach, Jay Marsh. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. Hey, Blessed Nation, Jay Marsh here. It's great to be with you today. I want to welcome you to this episode of Your Blessed Life. And I want to get right into the show because I have so much stuff and I hope and pray that I can get through it all. So I want to come right out and I want to introduce you to today's featured guest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Andy Andrews to the show. Andy, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, Jay. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Honored to be here with you. Man, me too. I'm glad that we got to connect. And I really do, Andy. I have so much that I want to share with you, so much that I want to ask you about. So I want to dig in. But, you know, before I do, I want to I want to connect with you and get to know you a little bit more and allow Blessed Nation to get to little to know a little bit more about you. So I know that you're you're in Alabama and, and you're from Alabama. And so we were talking just a little bit ago. Are you from Orange Beach? Because I know you're there now. Or, or did you? Were you raised in a different area of Alabama? I, I was I was raised kind of all over Alabama. And so, you know, when you hear somebody grew up moving around, either their parents were in the military or the ministry, one or the other. Yeah. And uh, my parents were in the ministry. And so okay. um, moving around Alabama and, and uh, I always said, you know, if I was ever able to live where I wanted to, it was going to be down here. It was going to be down here on the salt water. And, and uh, so when my parents... My parents died. My parents died when I was nineteen, and uh, so when they died, this is like where I headed, and I've been here yeah. ever since. Well, that's a beautiful place. In fact, I kind of think that that whole there, that whole Gulf Shores area, is kind of like this secret beautiful place that's tucked away um, that not many folks know how beautiful it is. Yeah, we. I mean, man, we love it. It's the best beach in the world. I've been all over the world and seen all the beaches and. And uh, this is the one I want to live on. You know, what I do for a living doesn't require that I live any particular place. And so I I just, we love this area. And the sand is sugar white. If you've ever been to Destin or Panama City, we have the same beach. It's that same 100-mile strip uh, in the Gulf of Mexico they call the Miracle Strip. And it's uh, one mineral. You know, other beaches are different uh, different combinations of minerals, but we have one thing, it's crushed quartz and it's the color and consistency of refined sugar. That's interesting. I didn't know that's what made that beach area have that white look to it. Well, honestly, I didn't either until last year, but I read <laughs> USA Today did a soil sample of the top 10 beaches of the world. And we were the only beach that had, that was only one thing. Everything else was four or five, six, seven different combinations of minerals. Well, that explains why it's so pretty. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you know, a while ago, Andy, when you said we, so that we, I know it's your wife, Polly, and you have two sons. So tell two me, sons. tell me uh, a little bit about your boys. Yeah. Uh, they, they are just awesome. Uh, Austin is 17 and Adam just turned 15 yesterday. And so they, they are just, uh, they're my, they're my best buddies and, you know, they're best friends with each other and just, they're just awesome, awesome guys. Well, I'm, you know, we talked about that just a little bit ago. I'm kind of, I'm right behind you there. You know, so my boys are eight and 10 
and they are they are coming into that buddy stage. I love in fact I've already got some days planned out as they wrap up school where it's just guys. It's just the three of us get to hang out and there's so much fun. And listen, Jay, start now telling them what brothers are. You know, I I I see so many adult children. I talk to so many people who have adult children who the, the adult children don't get along. And uh and from the time our boys were little, we always we always said, You will get along. You yeah. will get along. You are brothers. You're going to be brothers long after mom and I are gone, and you will get along. There's nothing more important on the earth than your brother, than that that uh, that person who will be there no matter what, and you will get along. And so, uh, you know, we we have hammered that into their thoughts, and and uh, they are they are they are best friends. I I love hearing that because my boys play so well together. And when Dana and I are watching them, it just brings us so much joy to watch them have each other as buddies. And so I'm going to share that story with them because your boys are 15 and 17. So I can let them know the things they're doing now are preparing them to be the best buds when they're 15, when they're 30 and on. So that's good stuff. And ask ask me some questions about them later because I can can tell you a couple of, I can give you a couple of hints on why my boys turn have turned out like they've turned out, I think. So, but I know, I know you've got a, a, got an agenda here and what you're going after. And so you go after it, but if you find a a place to get in there about the boys again, do. And, okay. And so I, I, cause I've got, I've got some good stuff just observing my boys through the years. Is it stuff that as you would probably say would be good conversation to sit over a glass of iced tea? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, but I mean, it would also be good stuff to to sit down and write in stone, uh, oh. because you know you've get you've got specific things you want as you're raising those boys, and yeah. and so you know I I see a I see a lot of roll the dice parenting moves out there, and uh, and it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Well, I would like to come back to that and. And ask you about that, because I know that's something that I could probably learn a thing or two on. (laughs) But you know what I want to do right now? I want Blessed Nation to know a little bit more about you. I want them to know what I know about you. And then I want you to share some other stuff, Andy. So, you know, I know you as from years and years back, because we had some friends in common. We had some business associates in common. I I know you as a comedian. I know you as an amazing speaker. And you know what I I know you at the time I didn't know it I've learned this as I've as I follow as I followed you reading your books and just and following you online that you really are a master storyteller uh, and I, I guess that comes from I don't know maybe the fact that you truly notice stuff and I think it's so fitting that you wrote a book called The Noticer because you're like that you're you're a noticer have you ever is that how that book came about? Because you consider yourself a noticer? Well, I do. I do consider myself a noticer, but definitely a second generation noticer. Um, that book is about the original noticer, uh, mm-hmm. the guy who I met when I was living under a pier. I was, uh, you know, after my parents died, I made some some bad moves and and uh, within a couple of years ended up literally homeless before that was even a word. You know, nobody was talking about homeless people 30 years ago, but I was uh, living under a pier on the Gulf Coast and in and out of people's garages, which is not safe or smart, but I did, and and met this old guy uh, late one night under my pier, scared me to death, and 
and he was uh, he was the first person ever to tell me the truth about myself. And when I say that, you know, I, I, I always I, I notice people going, "Well, what does what does that mean?" Well, you yeah. know, when you meet somebody having a tough time, what what do we do? We give them ten dollars, we put them on the prayer list, you know. But rarely do we sit down with them and tell them things about themselves that might make them angry at us. Mm. <laughs> and that's what he did. And people say, "So, so he made you mad?" Oh, yeah, constantly. Because, you know, he was telling me the truth, and he was telling me things that nobody else would dare tell me, and and I kind of hung around because I, he was the only person paying any attention to me at the time, mm-hmm. and and so, you know, it, it was a it was an amazing time. We we didn't really know where he was from. We didn't know where he went when he left. We didn't know how old he was. We didn't know what was in that suitcase he carried around. <laughs> uh, we called him Jones, you know, not Mister Jones. Everybody just called him Jones, and and um. And he, he said, you know, he called himself a noticer. He said when God was passing out talents, that he didn't get the cool ones. He couldn't run fast. He couldn't sing great. But he noticed little things that made a difference in people's lives. And and so, I you know, I've come to realize that it was kind of a, a thing passed down to me in a way. Yeah. That's – in a way, that's what a good comedian does. And, sure. and I think that's what – you know, uh, effective people in in uh, different walks of life do is notice the little things that other people miss that make a big difference. Well, I think that that whole notion there could be a kind of a, a continuous theme of the twenty five or so different books that you've written over the time. It gives you a different perspective, and I think that's what holds kind of this grip of interest when folks are reading your book. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, you know it's. It, it's it's not just the story. It's because that's you know that's what I want to gather people's interest is is to is to put it in a story. You know, I, um, I, I work with a lot of football teams. I actually have my my hand. This is my boys think this is cool, but I I have my hand in the last nine college football national championships with my my material or working with the coaches or something and and. And one of the coaches, they had used the traveler's gift, and he he told me he said, you know, uh, we do a different book every year, but our guys, they they by far they like this book the most. And I I said, well, thank you, you know. But I didn't say, well, coach, it's because it's a story. I mean, you know, you're you're making you're making them read textbooks, and now you give them a story. Of course, they're going to like it. Yeah. And and so I I put these. I put these uh, principles and these thoughts into stories, but but I want to unpack them in a way with the characters that people are very uh, that that they are thought provoking, but also um, valuable for their lives. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've done that effectively. In fact, I just posted um, my most recent episode with a he's a he's kind of a natural. Uh, well, he's a doctor. He's a pharmacist by trade, but his kind of his tagline is to live a, a happy and a joyous and a whole life. And anyway, he was one of my most recent guests. And I always ask these guys and gals a book that has just really blessed some area of their life. It doesn't have to be, you know, three steps to walking in Christ, but some book that has positively affected their life. And it has, you know, it has a Christ footprint on it. Right. And I get the noticer and the traveler's gift. 
so often. And of course, I'm thinking, I'm kind of grinning in the background thinking, oh, that's so cool because Andy's going to be on here in a couple of weeks. But it, but it's true. I love, Andy, how you weave the person of Jesus into so many of your books where it doesn't cause uh, tension, it, it, it creates attraction to him. Well, here's, here's the thing, Jay, and I, I appreciate you saying that because for a long time, I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to do. And, and you know, the traveler's gift was, uh, you know, it was Good Morning America's book of the month, like 10 years ago. And, and, and so uh, somewhere along the line, five or six years ago, uh, Good Morning America listed the uh, ten, the five books of a lifetime. Uh, they they listed As a Man Thinketh, To Kill mm-hmm. a Mockingbird, uh, Up from Slavery. I can't remember the other one, but then The Traveler's Gift. And, and so every time something happens with one of these books, uh, you know, Glenn Beck got a hold of one of them. Uh, and so every time some, something happens with them, Christians will say to me, they'll say, wow, what, you know, what are the odds that, you know, ABC chooses a Christian book as a, as a, uh, you know, book of the month and that they're promoting a Christian book. And I, I don't say anything, but see, here's the thing to them, it's not necessarily a Christian book. And, and so, I mean, you know, you go through the noticer and it, it doesn't say anything it doesn't say the word Jesus, right? And and so it, it took me a while to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do. And here's what I do: I write books that Christians can give to their non-Christian friends that they will actually read, that will create a conversation between the non-Christian and the Christian. And, you know, if you look at the statistics of the people who come to Christ, over 98% of them, it has it has something to do with somebody else. Somebody invited them. Somebody gave them something. Somebody right. talked to them. It has some, <laughs> something to do with somebody else. And, you know, in a world where people have already decided, I mean, they've, they've decided. I mean, you know, in the 1970s, you know, we could have a volleyball game on the beach and then kind of drift off and put your arm around somebody and say, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And they'd go, well, you know, I, I don't, I no, not really. And say, well, here, let me show you this. And they show them the four spiritual laws and lead them to Christ and then join the youth group. You, you know, <laughs> people don't do that anymore. I mean, churches don't even give it a shot. I mean, most churches are not even doing altar calls anymore. Yes. yes. And there's no witnessing going on. Youth groups have become very insular. You know, uh, you know, uh, if, if you got a church big enough, what do you do? You you build a uh, you build a gymnasium at your church. Why? I, I guess so that your kids can stay there and not have to, you know, go into the community and have to deal with anybody who's not a Christian. And 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 yet, the Great Commission says that we are to go into the world, go into the world, and and so it it became obvious to me. That there had to be something, you know, you, and, and like I say, years ago, people would do that. Well, years ago, people were kind of generally aware that they didn't know everything. You know, I mean, we only had three television channels and two of them only worked, you know, and they all shut off at midnight. And then right. there was one newspaper and one radio station and, 
you know, no internet. You had to you, you had to wait till Tuesday afternoon to find out what the football polls were, and the you know the, you couldn't find out on the radio station because the radio station had to wait till the newspaper came out because it was AP and UPI. Yeah, and, that's crazy. And so it it. it it created an atmosphere back then that you could say to somebody, "Hey, have you, you know, have you considered Jesus? Have you thought about Jesus? Do you know Jesus?" And and people would go, "Well, yeah, no, not really." I mean, because people weren't ashamed to admit that, gosh, they didn't know everything because they knew subconsciously nobody knew everything. How, how are you going to know everything? Well, now we live in a world where people think they know everything. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, you know, there's a thousand cable channels there's uh 24 hour news on 20 different channels i mean back back in the 70s you could get national news 30 minutes a day five days a week and that was it and and now you know the internet you could if you miss a television show you can go see it on the internet it's 24 hour everything 24 hour radio and everybody has watched Bill Maher on HBO. Everybody has listened to Richard Dawkins debate a creationist. Everybody has gone, and so people believe they have decided. Right. If you go to somebody and say, hey, you know, something about Jesus, you know, they're like, hey, you know, no thanks. I'm already, I'm fine. You know, you go to church. No, we don't. We're fine. And they don't mind telling you because they've decided. And so what that means is that it's tough to create conversations, and it's tough to create. A, a proposition, a value proposition, where anybody thinks they need anything else, and so what? What I'm doing, and what I want to do, and what I feel led to do, and and a, a lot of pastors and schools have caught on to this because you know pastors are 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 taking you know using the books and you know the Heartmender is a, is a story about uh, the the. Uh, Nazi submarines in the Gulf of Mexico during World War II, and which really happened. And it's the story of a of, of a officer on one of these U-boats that considered himself uh, a German, not a Nazi. And he gets betrayed by the uh, political officer and wounded, actually makes it ashore. A young American war widow finds him, and instead of killing him, she decides to hide him. And the story is about how they hide in 1942 America and what happens and what happens because of it, it long term. And But the whole book is about forgiveness. The whole book. And, and it discusses forgiveness and talks through forgiveness and explains forgiveness. But the whole, but the whole story, it's a thriller, you know. And, and so, and the traveler's gift, the seven decisions and the noticer with the different problems the man is encountering with people in life. And, you know, the old lady who feels like her life is over and the, the businessman who's trying to get ahead by cheating people and the right. kids who don't know who to date and all these things he handles. Well... You know, pastors are are taking these these books and saying, "Okay, here's here's three hundred of them. Go read them, and then just go give them in the community. And then at some point, I'm going to do a a sermon on this. And what we're going to tell your friends who read the book, we're going to say, you know, you're going to get in a conversation about the book, and you're going to say, "Hey, our guy is talking about this.'" Not our preacher, our guy. And he's not preaching, he's talking. Our right. guy is talking about this Sunday. He's talking about this book. We're going to be discussing this book. And and so what what I'm doing 
is writing books that Christians can give to their not because you know as much as you and I love Billy Graham, Jay, we all have a lot of friends that will give them one of his books and they'll say thank you, but they ain't reading it. No, no, they're not. And so I, I want to create these books that that Christians can give to their non-Christian friends that they'll actually read and will create a conversation between those. Listen, there's 2,500 school systems now that are using these books. We, we provide free curriculums for the teachers. And you can go on andyandrews.com and you can download free curriculums for these books. And they're being used from K-5 to uh, graduate level college courses in 2,500 school systems in, uh, in history, English, uh, several, several other things. But, but the deal is that the public schools are fine because it's, it, you know, doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say it right. But right. these are spiritual principles. These are God's no principles. And Christian teachers, they read the book and they go, I know right where this <laughs> is coming from. Oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. You do when you read it. And it opens up a whole nother level of joy uh, and excitement when that Holy Spirit confirmation is, is in your heart and you're shaking your head as you're reading these books. You're like, oh, I get this. I get yeah. this. Yeah. But you get it in a way, and if you're not a believer, or if you're not sure if you're a believer, if you're just kind of in between, it gives that opportunity to come at them in a way that doesn't create confrontation. It doesn't challenge them where they are embarrassed. It just it brings an awareness to them that allows them to ask a question of, maybe there's something bigger here. Maybe, maybe there's something deeper here that I need to look at. And they get to make that decision for themselves as opposed to someone else making it for them. Right. I just, I just looked on the side of my desk here, and I, one of my books, it, it, well, it's the Noticer Returns. It's the second Noticer book. And, and chapter 14 in that book is like five pages. But people use that when they have friends who have a loved one who is dying or has died. And and there is a, a part in that book where uh, Jones, the old man, is in this chapter 14, where he's dealing with a man whose wife is dying. And the man is very mad. And, and uh, so Jones is explaining this death. And the man is saying to Jones, she always liked you. You know, she always liked having you around. And I don't even know why you stayed around. And and so, you know, Jones is explaining death to this man. And and I had, uh, you know, my, my son, Adam, when he was younger, when I wrote this book, we were listening to it on audio. And and Adam said to me, he said, he said, Dad, you know, why didn't Jones tell the man that he needed to accept Jesus? And I said, well, because it's, it's got like, uh, do you mind if I read a couple paragraphs to you? No, not at all. He says, he's explaining this and he said, um, Jones looked closely at the woman's face. Look at her now, Daryl, he said. For many years, this dear child was happy and content in this body. 
but for some time now she has struggled. She's become uncomfortable. She has become to, she has come to long for freedom from the pain of this body and sensed that the world she inhabits is not where she ultimately belongs. Even now she does not fully appreciate the reality that is waiting on the other side of the struggle. But she's preparing to experience something new and wonderful that in her wildest imaginings could not be described. Right now, right this minute, she is getting ready to breathe. And when she draws that first breath, it will be clean and clear and fresh like nothing she's ever experienced. She'll take another breath and another and another and all around her loved ones, her family and friends will cheer her in a joyous celebration of arrival. Do not be afraid for yourself, Daryl. You can make the same journey one day. You can join her if you choose to do so. And don't be afraid for her. She is fine. Remember, she's getting ready to breathe. And so wow. Adam asked me, he said, Dad, why didn't Jones just tell the man that he could accept Christ? And I, to and I told Adam, I said, well... I said, what we're doing is we're writing books that Christians can use with their non-Christian friends. And so when somebody is having a tough time, and you know, I, I, I wrote this so that if somebody has a friend that's passing away or uh, a, f a friend whose wife or husband is passing away or child, that, that they can give them, say, here, just read chapter 14. Just right. read chapter 14 in the Notice of Returns. And that they will read this, and Adam, what I know is going to happen is that somebody is going to say to that person who gave them the book, they're going to say, <clears throat> what did that mean when he told that guy that he could join her if he chose to do so? That not to be afraid for her, that she was fine. Right. But that he could join her if he chose to do so. What does that mean? And I there said, in go. that way, Adam, somebody will be able to lead them to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's the door opener, isn't it? So that's what I got. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that is definitely the door opener. And you know, Andy, I see that that same theme, you know, the th the three books that come to mind for me, of course, the noticer, noticer returns. I, I consider that as one in my mind here. Um, and my favorite book that you've written, and that's the traveler's gift. Um, and then your newest book, the little things I can see the intertwining of Christian principles in all those writings. And I want to, I want to kind of dial it in specifically to your most recent book as I, cause I'm sitting here looking at it. It's on my desk and I want to ask you, well, I want to make a statement, then I want to follow it up with a question. So the little things are huge. That's how's that for a paradox. When I coach my <laughs> couples, when I coach my couples in marriage, I implore them, I warn them, I encourage them to not sweep because communication is, is gold with my couples. That's the first thing I, we focus on. And so I'm helping them to know, do not sweep the small things that are issues under the rug, the proverbial rug. Don't sweep them. Don't discount them. Because if you do, they will pile up, they will pile up, and you will walk into the living room and you will trip over that rug. And eventually that 
pile will get so big under that rug that you can't even get across it. You can't get around it. It's a roadblock that you can't pass. Yep. And so when I, when I was reading your book, I was thinking about this analogy and this story that I tell my couples of why the little things matter in your relationship as a couple. So I want to ask you a question when, when it relates to your book, the little things and why you should, well, why you should really sweat the small stuff, like in your subtitle, what is this contradiction of, of conventional wisdom here? When, why is it important for us to challenge this question of why small things do matter? Well, I think in society today, it is important <clears throat> to, and I don't, and when I say challenge conventional wisdom, I don't mean stand up with a sign and block traffic. Okay. I, I mean, you should be, be careful, be careful before you accept it. Okay. Be careful before you accept it as truth because many, many, many things that people believe are just not true. And and it goes from stupid nothing things, you know, a rabbit's foot, that's lucky. Right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't to the rabbit, you know, right. and 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 to to big huge things that people believe. People believe that that uh, the number one goal of parenting should be to raise great kids. And that's not true either. Uh you know, it's it's a it's a very convenient lie. It's a it's a very uh, seductive lie, mm -hmm. but it, you know every time I talk to parents who are having uh, issues with their children, I ask them. I say, "Well, what? What? Tell me what your parenting philosophy is." And they say, "We just want to raise great kids. We're just that is the most important thing in our life. That's our priority. We told God if we had kids, we would, you know, and we would make it a priority. We pray for them every morning. We pray for them at night. We we just want to raise great kids. And I want to and I want to tell them, well, there's your problem." Because in reality, you've bought into the idea that your goal is great kids. That ain't your goal. Your goal is to raise kids who become great adults. It's two different things. It's two different destinations, and a different pathway will lead to each. We know people who had great kids. Mm -hmm. they, they were great kids. And then they turned 18, got away from home. Something happened, didn't it? And so... It, the idea that can, you know, the, people will say, well, that's conventional wisdom. Yeah, it's conventional wisdom because so many people just kind of don't think about it. And and so this is true of little things and the big picture. People say, well, you know, we, you know, because if you talk to companies or talk to organizations or churches, you know, they're wanting somebody with a big picture. They promote people sure. who have the big picture. They, you know, we're. Uh, we we want to follow somebody who has the big picture. Well, I th you know, in my experience, a lot of times, these big picture people, they 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 turn out to be ineffective. Get this: Did you know that in the last year, twenty five percent of the Fortune five hundred companies CEOs were forced out? I mean, how 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 can it be possible that 125 of the biggest CEOs in America can can be that ineffective. Well, a lot of times big picture people have absolutely no idea of all the little details that have to be taken care of before that big picture comes 
to fruition. Right. You know, every big picture that was ever created, I mean, you, you, your life is a big picture. Your business is a big picture. Your family, that's a big picture. Okay, but every big picture at the, at, at the end, when your big picture is completed, whether it turns out to be a masterpiece or a disaster, either way, it will have been done one decision at a time, one moment at a time, one tiny brushstroke at a time. Yeah. Every yeah. big picture is made up of little things. Well, and I think it's those little things, and, and actually, I don't want to state it. I want to ask it to you. So what is it about these little things that makes such a huge impact in our life and especially in our walk in Christ? How, how do those little things make an impact as it relates to creating our life? Well, it, it's, it's a matter, you know, <clears throat> there is a little thing like uh, a, a, a little thing we've been told since we were children or since we accepted Christ, and that is, you know, read your Bible. Well, you know, there is reading your Bible, and then there is reading to understand. or And, and it, it may seem like a little thing, but... But if if you're like me, for for a long time, I found myself, you know, telling God that I wanted His will to be done in my life, but I was really kind of aware that I didn't. It was an uncomfortable feeling because I didn't really know what to do about it. But um, but you know, I would I would pray, you know, God, I, I want Your will, Your will be done, Lord. You know, whatever your will is for my life, Lord, I want to follow your will. But then I would get up from my prayer, and the thought would flicker through my mind. Yeah, I, I want your will, but don't don't touch my boys. Because if something happens to my children, we're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I couldn't quit thinking that. And I, you know, I'd pray, I, you know, I want your will, Lord. Lord, your will be done. And then I'd get up and i think, but, <laughs> and I would also like a boat. You know, at some point before I die, you know, I would really like a boat. Uh, but your will, other than a boat and my kids, God, I really, really would like your will. And and it kind of drove me nuts for a while until, uh, you know, because I was aware, if I was honest with myself, you know, you, you, you know, you can't say I want God's will in ninety eight percent of my life. You either want God's will or you don't want God's will. Right. I mean that's a it's a little percentage and it covers a lot. You know something can be a hundred percent pure, except for that point zero zero one percent of impurity. Well, if it has one point one one percent zero zero one percent impurity, it ain't a hundred percent pure. Right. And so so I I I read one day in Psalms, and I had read this. I must have read this. A hundred times, but somehow I missed it just reading and one day reading to understand. I read in Psalms where David said, King David wrote, uh, Lord, help me to want your will so I can follow your will more closely. And all, all of a sudden it, it dawned on me, well, here's David. Here's a man after God's own heart. And he is aware that he does not want God's will. Yeah, uh, you know that he has those little chinks in that armor, mm -hmm. and and so his prayer was, "Lord, help me to want your will." 
I'm so aware that I'm frail and I'm it just I'm you know and I'm I don't I don't I'm not strong and I I, I want to want your will I, I guess and but help me to want it so that I can follow it more closely and and boy that you know a transformation really took place in my prayers and in my life and my thoughts and in my uh, communication with God and it's just it's being honest and open with God and why why shouldn't we be he knows you know anyway yeah I you know that really sets up something that I read in your book and I'm not surprised that these link themselves together Andy so you're not so focused when I when I hear you read that scripture in Psalm you know help me Lord um to want your will help me to walk that out makes me think about something that I I know it drove my mom crazy when I was a kid and even into my adolescence because I have a 10 year old that does it to me now and you're going to get this Andy because this is something that you talk about that's important to do but I don't know if people recognize it I don't know that I did until I read it and that is I was one of those kids that was constantly asking why mom why why mom why Right. And I know it, I know it drove her crazy. So why is that question of why, which I, I kind of think of that verse in Psalms, why is that so much more important than us asking how, mom, <laughs> how? Yeah. It, and, you know, it is curious that most of us had that experience with our parents, you know, that, that we, that we are born with that curiosity and born with that tendency, and yet as we get older, it gets kind of you know, knocked out of us. You know, it's just like don't ask me that anymore. Right? You're driving me crazy, and and yet the the why is where the growth is. Um, it, you know, the why is is the catalyst to the solving of the problem. Okay, so. If the problem is something's wrong, then we ask why. Now, most people only ask why when something's wrong. If things are going well, they they don't ask why. They, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the finances dip or, you know, behavior of a child dips or you know, something's wrong in the relationship. We go, hey, why is this happening? Why, why did this happen? Why is he doing? Why are we, you know, and... And we keep asking why until we get an answer and get it back to sea level. And then we go, okay, all right, whoo, thank God, we're over that. So, uh, you know, uh, the why is used just to kind of bring it back to a normal realm. And yet, there is huge growth and there is huge increase when we will ask why when things are going right. Yeah, that's a, that's unconventional. Yeah. You know why? Why are we having so many customers after three o'clock on Thursday? Right. You know, and so you figure the answer to that, then you can apply it to the rest of the week. Now, why did that, you know, I, that's, I said one thing to him and he went and he made up his bed. He cleaned his room. He didn't talk back. Why did that? Why did that work like that did? Well, figure it out, you know, but we we don't we don't do that we you know and, and so the idea is that there are tons of people who know how principles work 
But there are very few people who have dug in deeply enough to understand why a principle works as it does. Yeah. And you can understand how a principle works, and you can apply it, and you can apply it over and over. But until you know why a principle works as it does, you will never be able to apply it in different contexts, in different areas of your life that seem to have no relation to the area that everybody else is using that principle. Mm-hmm. Is that is that like knowing it more with your heart instead of knowing it with your head because it has it has significance when you know it with your heart? I don't know. I think I think there is definitely a. Uh, it might be. It might be the difference in knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. You know, because not you know, there's a lot of people who have knowledge of how something does, but you know, wisdom requires context. It requires uh, a different view. It requires the you know, and so An understanding. Yeah, it requires understanding, deep understanding. I mean, that's what wisdom is: is a deep understanding of mm-hmm. principle. You know, there are there are people who who can. You know, they they get how to use a principle, but until you have a deep understanding of a principle, wisdom of a principle, um, and that that would that would be, I think that would that would play. Yeah, I think it does, and I think it talks to something that you talk about in your book, The Little Things, about this gap. It, you know, it sounds like we're talking about this gap within the little things and how this gap. And I'm talking about the difference between first and second place, because there was a really cool story that you used to talk about that, how that sets us up to really make a difference and set the stage for what's going to come down the road. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, you know, even if we contemplate the difference in first and second, very few people contemplate. Let's let's put it this way. People who think about the difference in first and second, it is kind of amazing. I mean, you think about the difference in a gold medalist and a silver medalist. Yeah. You know, just in impact. Well, I mean, you can name a bunch of gold medalists, but it's hard to name a bunch of silver medalists. (laughs) And they had impact. You know, it it impacts, you know, in, in terms of finances. I you know difference in first and second is is huge. I mean they're I mean how often do you go to a convention and have a silver medalist speak to you? You know, I mean it's the gold medalist that at 30 years after they won the gold medal they're still they're still talking wandering around yeah. talking about it and getting paid $20,000 to do it, you know? Yeah. I mean there's a there's a lot of benefit in first place. And and then if you look, you know, people People, some people will not only know that difference, but they'll contemplate like, like how, you know, what that difference was. Well, the difference was in a, in a lot of places, so hugely infinitesimal in most, in a lot of Olympic sports, the difference in first place and 10th place is less than a second. Yeah. And, and Michael Phelps, here's Michael Phelps at the Beijing Olympics. Now, I don't know if people know this, but we really only really know who Michael Phelps is because he won eight gold medals. You know, I mean, he's actually won like 14 or 15 gold medals, but he won eight at one 
Olympics. Right. And that was such a big deal because he broke Mark Spitz's record of seven. And so we only really he's, – he's only really such a big deal because he broke that all-time record. So um, now – but here's the thing. Michael Phelps, one of those eight races was won by one one-hundredth of a second. Wow, that's almost hard to believe they can even quantify that. Yeah, and you, and you think about it, that's that's uh, faster than the blink of eye, faster than a bolt of lightning, faster than a hummingbird can flap its wings once, uh, one one-hundredth of a second. And so people look at that, but here's here's the part that most people don't think about. Where was that created? And, it, it, you know, if you ask that question, Jay, a lot of people say, well, in, like in, in the race, I mean, no, no. Where was that advantage mm-hmm. created? Was it was it uh, one more sip of coffee? Yeah, is that the gap that you're talking about? Is that yeah? The, okay, yeah. There's the, and was it was it five more minutes of rest the day before? Was it? You know, scientists have proven now that thought has mass. Okay, so so was a thought. On the starting platform, was that where it was created? Or, you know, you can imagine right in the middle of that race, if 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 a positive thought could generate, you know, one thing, what could a negative thought generate? I, you know, right, right in the middle of right. race, just one little, uh, just one. I mean, how how do what negative thought would generate one one hundredth of a second? I mean, how minute would it have to be? But but the idea is, where was that created? And if it was created before the race or long before the race, see, you know, God is preparing you for something. He's preparing you for the race. He's preparing you for uh, next week, for next year. You know, don't, you don't live your life saying, well, God's not using me yet. It, because God is using you. God, God's view of you is different than your view of you, and God's view of time is different than your view of time. And and so knowing that everything you do matters, you know, fill the gap that you've been given right now. Man, I, I like that. In fact, I want to expand on that because that makes me think about another question that in reading your book it it's amazing how talking about so little things have have introduced the question of so many big things um which i i hope that was i suspect that was the intent of the book because that's what it did for me before i go in and ask you the next question i want to check in with blessed nation here so i mean i hope you're enjoying this chat with andy so far i mean I don't have a iced tea with me, but I do have a cup of coffee with me. <laughs> and uh, and I feel like that we're sitting down having a cup of coffee and I just get to pick your brain. And Bless Nation, I hope that you're feeling that same way. And I hope this conversation with Andy is just blessing your socks off. And, you know, I want to give you an opportunity, Bless Nation, to do something that I just recently started because you basically asked me to. And that is a way that you can support the show. And the way that you can support it is simply by supporting the show financially. It's something I haven't done before, but since we are a nonprofit organization, you can support the show financially. And it's a way for you to have that well, quite frankly, a tax deductible offering. And so I want to give you that opportunity to support the show financially in that way. You don't 
There's no requirement. There's no amount. It's just if there's something on your heart that you say, you know what? Yet another show of your blessed lives is just talking to me and it's blessing me. I want to invite you to do it. And you can simply go to the website at yourblesslife.com. It's yourblesslife.com and you'll see a donate button. And if there's any amount that's on your heart that works for you, God bless you and thank you in advance for considering to do that. So I want to I want to kind of ask this final question with you, Andy, and then we'll get into how folks can connect with you. And the question is this. So as it relates to the little things, how do these little things solve our bigger problems in our life? You know, the Jay, that that's a great question. And and the you know, the idea is is just what it says in the Bible that if you if you are faithful in the small things, God will be faithful in those larger things. Mm, you know, good. you you can't you can't have that huge picture of your life because you can't you can't know the future. But God knows the future and he knows the plans that he has for you, the plans to prosper you and to to give you hope in a future. And and we are called to be faithful with what we can do, with what we can do, yeah. and to give what we can give, and to be where we can be and spend the time we can spend. And we're called to be faithful with those small things. And then long term, obviously, God will be faithful in those larger things. Oh, I love that. And I love how you brought that back to a scriptural truth. Andy, man, I have so much more I want to chat with you about. But you know what? I'm grateful for the things that we got to talk about, and I'm grateful that you were just willing to come and share so much with us here at Your Blessed Life, man. Buddy, thank you. I appreciate so much the time. I uh, we're, we're lucky to have you out there in the airways, and and I, I appreciate you very much. Well, I appreciate you saying that. So when folks are listening to this episode and they're saying, you know what? I want to know more about Andy. I want to know where I can see him. I want to know where I can get to know him. I want to know more about his book, The Little Things. Where can they connect with you, bud? I'm andyandrews.com. I'm easy to get. I have, I have a podcast, too. It's not probably not as good as yours, but um, <laughs> but it comes out every Saturday. And mine's, you know, it's, it's easy to get. And just the, put your address in the loop, on andyandrews.com. Right? Your show, In the Loop? Yeah, in the loop. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm familiar with it. It is a good show. That is a good show. Well, cool. I will. I'm going to link up the show in the loop. I'm going to link up your website, and um, and you know, brother, I hope our paths have the opportunity to cross again. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time, and um, I appreciate the listening ears and open hearts of all of the blessed nation amen blessed nation i want to leave you with this note i want to thank you for tuning in today and walking down this part of the journey of your blessed life and i want you to remember that god absolutely loves you and he wants to bless you